This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, good people. What is going on? How you doing? What's up? Welcome to episode 297, Talk About Flow podcast, presented today by our friends over at Sunny Reds. Big thank you to everyone out there, as always, for listening, downloading, supporting the podcast. really means a lot to me. If you've not yet subscribed, please go ahead and do that right now. We're on all the major podcasting platforms out there. You can follow me on Twitter, at Pat Moran Tweets. I am going to be joined in just a few minutes by Matthew Beauvais, sports anchor, director at Channel 7. Going to talk some Bills, some Sabres. Got a couple terrible tweets for him to react to. Some fan questions that were submitted. A very loaded chat with one of my favorites, Matt Beauvais. Going to have that in just a couple minutes. Before that, though, I want to do a little bit of a house cleaning here with the Talk Buffalo podcast announce a couple of the upcoming shows. So like I said, in just a few minutes, I'm going to have Matt on. Coming up on Friday's show, going to do something that I've never done before. I'm going to have a special podcasters roundtable. And what I've done is taken three of who I think, who many of you think, are three of the very best Buffalo Bills podcasters out there. And I'm going to slap them in one roundtable. And we're going to have a good discussion. Those guys... Joe Marino from Lockdown Bills, Greg Thompson from Cover One Buffalo, and of course, my man Bruce Nolan from Buffalo Rumblings. And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, we ain't talking Buffalo Bills on Friday. So be prepared for that. Like I said, we're going to do something different. We're going to talk podcasting. Again, a podcaster's roundtable. I'm going to talk to all three of those guys. I'm going to learn about their process how they put their shows together, how they built their audience, some of the biggest challenges that they have in putting together these great shows, which are great. I think it's something that podcasters are really going to like. And let's face it, pretty much everyone has a podcast nowadays. Or if they don't, they're an inspiring podcaster. So that fits the bill for you as well. Or just fans of podcasts in general. I think you'll all get something out of it. You'll get to know these guys on a level much deeper than just what they do, producing outstanding Buffalo Bills content. So anyway, that's going to be this Friday. Then a week from today, next Tuesday, I'm going to have Benjamin Albright. I'm going to get some national perspective on Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. And I'll get some thoughts from Ben on how the Bills may approach free agency, how they may approach the draft, who he thinks might be coming, who he thinks might be going. And again, I'm going to get this perspective from a respected national sports guy. I think it's good every now and then 
to have Bill's talk, but have it from somebody outside of the Buffalo market. So again, a national perspective, Ben's a perfect guy for that. So anyway, that'll be next Tuesday. And then the following Friday, March 12th. This is a big one. This is a big one for me anyway. It's episode number 300 of the show. To celebrate that, I'm going to have my man, Del Reed. Of course, Del's the owner of 26 Shirts, one of the original members of the Bills Mafia. And I'll tell you what, too. Not only is Del going to be on that Friday, which is March 12th, but I'm very excited to announce, and I'm going to do it right now, right here. I'm going to be having Dell with me every Friday from that point for the foreseeable future, and we're going to do a segment every week. Dell Fridays is coming to talk to Buffalo Podcast. We've got a lot of stuff planned. That's going to be a lot of fun. So a bunch of good news there on the future show uh, market, but not all good news because this is Talking Buffalo Podcast, and Talking about the Sabres at this point, as painful as, as it is, is just, it's freaking un, unavoidable. And before I bring in Matt, I, I want to say this. I am like legitimately mad. And I mean legitimately mad. But I'm not mad at anyone except myself because I don't have anyone but myself to blame at this point. This weekend, this past weekend, I should say, some of you did the same thing, I'm sure. I feel like I literally rotted roughly what? Six hours of my weekend away of my life on the weekend, rotted it away, watching the Sabres team that, you know, forget about winning. They barely even look interested in competing right now, let alone winning. It's sad. It's disgusting. Two games over the course of a weekend versus the same team, Philly, not one single goal, not one. Nothing, literally nothing to celebrate over the course of roughly six hours. This team, this organization is a disgrace. This team is an embarrassment, not just in Buffalo. I think they're one of the most embarrassing franchises in all of professional sports now, not just hockey. They are lifeless. They play with zero passion. They play with zero fight. They play with zero physicality. And at times, and I think we saw plenty of it this past weekend, if you were stupid enough like me to watch it all, at times with little to no effort. It's sickening. And you got a coach right now, Ralph Kruger, who seems more interested in having pregame or postgame press conferences where he's trying to teach fans and media about human psychology than finding some damn line combinations that could produce something worth watching. I mean, if they were losing, it's okay. But feel like it's fun to watch the game. Get the fans something worth watching. There ain't none worth watching right now. Nothing. And you would think, by the way, on Sunday, you would think a team that just got slapped twice in what? Barely 24 hours without scoring one freaking goal. Not one. You would think at that point, You'd have such a big chip on your shoulder, some grit, some nastiness to him, maybe even some dirty play. I'll take it at this point. Shove a player after a whistle, drop the gloves, do something, literally anything. Try to give your team a spark, but nope. This is an organization, and we're seeing it more and more and more. They're just going through the motions. And I know that there's not fans in the arena, at least not right now. 
Thank God. But you would think they'd play better at home. They'd be more comfortable. Nope. They've not lost six in a row at home. Seven of their last eight. It's pathetic. And it's not fun. It was honestly more entertaining to watch the Buffalo Sabres when they were tanking. Whether you were pro-tank, whether you were anti-tank, the Sabres were worth watching for whatever reason. Not now. This team sucks. And this team, even worse than sucking, this team is boring. They're boring. Anyway, I want to bring in Matt here because, again, Matt is much more qualified and a much bigger Sabres expert than I am. So we'll pick it up with Matt. Some Sabres talk, some Bills talk, much more. Let's get at that right now. Here it is, my chat with Channel 7 Sports Director Matt Beauvais. All right, I am joined right now by sports anchor and sports director at WKBW TV in Buffalo, Matthew Beauvais. What's going on, Matt? How you doing? I'm well. I'm well. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, I love having you on this show. It's been a minute since I had you on, though. Actually, lots of minutes since I had you on. And we'll talk plenty of Bills and Sabres and stuff like that. But, you know, let me start here. Let me just ask you how life's going for you outside of your profession. I mean, we see you in front of the camera all the time. See on Twitter a lot, very entertaining on Twitter. One of my favorite Twitter accounts, by the way. But no, just how's life? How's it been for you outside of the job in all these, well, obviously crazy times? Well, thank you for the kind words. I appreciate it. Life is life is good. You know, obviously this is a challenging time for a lot of people, but I think we've done a lot of reflecting during this time. You know, my wife and I are very, very fortunate that we still have our jobs. We can work from home occasionally, which is really, really nice. You know, we got a puppy during the pandemic. A lot of people got puppies during the pandemic. Yeah. But yeah, no, the last time we talked, I was in a very, very different place in my life. I was engaged. I was not married. Now I'm married. You know, I had a different job at work. I lived in a different place. So a lot has changed. But, you know, not really, not really any major reasons to complain. We're very, very fortunate over here. You, you know, it's funny because last time I had John was in, I think, June of 2019 which is a good year and a half or so, at least uh, from now. I just had Tyler Dunn on the show a couple of weeks ago. And the last time I had him on the show, he wasn't even married yet. Now he's married. He's got a kid yeah. and he's got another one on the way. So yeah, things change uh, for sure. And again, we'll talk some Bills and Sabres in a minute, but I got a couple other things for you. So again, last time I had you on the podcast, June of 2019, a much different world out there. Uh-huh. How difficult now? I just asked you how you're doing or personally. What about professionally? Like, how difficult has this past year or so been with COVID directly in regards to your job, to your profession, being a sports director at a TV station? Like how big were the adjustments that you've had to make and how long did it take you to really kind of lock in and get used to them? So I think the beginning of the pandemic was really, really tough. And obviously the sports world kind of came to a screeching halt. So I know you've had my colleagues, Jenna Clary and Adam Unger, both on the podcast as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've got the three of us in our sports department. And when there was no sports going on, we had to adjust. And it had to basically become all feature stories. And it had to be helping with news coverage because there was way more news going on. You got to remember like the pandemic started and then you had all the protests for the racial injustice that were happening. There were so many things happening and it seemed like everything happened at once. So the beginning of the pandemic was really, really tough because we had to find things to talk about. We had to find things that mattered to people. And at times it felt a little weird talking about sports when there were so many other things that were going on that were so much more important. 
So the beginning of the pandemic was really challenging. Then as we started to get to the summer, let's say, things really started to pick up with football. And there was the question, are they going to play? Are they not going to play? But we just all kind of assumed that they were going to make something work. And we just wanted a distraction at that point. So as we got closer to football season, things started to feel a little bit more normal, even though there was still a massive adjustment. You know, it's funny, like we covered an entire football season where the Bills went to the AFC championship and we did not have any face-to-face conversations with the Buffalo Bills, which is super weird. Because you got to remember, for everybody who's listening to this, we normally see McDermott face-to-face on Monday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday. We see the players on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday. So you're talking to these guys three, four times a week, every single week. This year, everything was done on Zoom calls, and it was really, really just, you know, it's just different. You don't have as genuine of a conversation as you would with a person when you're face-to-face, when you're with them on a Zoom call with 50 other people on the call. So that was an adjustment too. But when we saw how dire it was back in March and April and May, you know, five months earlier, it was like, hey, this is amazing. We still at least have sports to talk about. So it has been an adjustment, but at the same time, it is so much better than it was at the beginning of the pandemic because there's at least sports happening. And when there was no sports happening, it was really, really tough. You know, it's. I know I've gotten to know a lot of you guys and girls well who cover the beat. And I know this won't get too much sympathy from a lot of people who, you know, got to just grind out their everyday job to, to get by. But this was a great year, not just for the team to cover the team in terms of them being good, but the travel schedule this year, you know, the opportunities of Vegas and Phoenix, what twice actually the way it worked out. A lot of trips to the West coast, of course, the annual Miami trip and, you know, some other cities like that. So, I'm sure it was very difficult for you guys professionally and personally. And to kind of piggyback off that question. So, like I said, one of my favorite things about this podcast is just getting an opportunity over the last couple of years to really get to know people in the sports media on a level beyond just the work that they do. And this was, I've had this conversation with you. I've had it with several Bills reporters before that. There's a good rapport between you guys and, and you girls. And, you know, as a group, it's competitive, of course. But it's also pretty tight, a lot of the relationships. Like, aside from just the the professional level, I imagine that this past year or so, and again, let me preface this by saying, like you said, you know, when you look at the big picture and how bad things have been, it's not that important in the grand scheme of things. But it's kind of sucked for you guys not being able to spend much time with your colleagues on a personal level, ain't it? Oh, 100%. That's honestly probably one of my favorite parts of the job. And I'm also coming to it with a very different perspective than a lot of people who are covering the teams or who are on the beat. You know, I got married about a year and a half ago. I love spending time, obviously, at home with my family, with my wife, but I also don't have kids right now. So for me, if you're going to do the traveling, now is the time to put in right. miles, to put in the experiences, because eventually that's going to you know, grow old and you're going to want to be home more. So not having the traveling. And that's like the best time to hang out with each other too. There's so many trips where, you know, we go down, we'll get there on a Friday, we'll get there on a Saturday and we'll go and we'll play around a golf or we'll go to dinner or we'll go to a sporting event or we'll do something. And I only had traveled full time a season before the pandemic started. I had been to plenty of different stadiums for games here and there, whether I was helping out Joe B or we were doing pregame shows or whatever it would, you know, would be. But I had the one year of traveling to every single game, and that was 
awesome. It was so, so, so much fun. So then when you see the schedule for 2020 come out and you look at it, you go, oh my God, we're going to Vegas week four. And then we're going to Nashville week five. It was like, how yeah. am I going to do that? That's going to be unbelievable. So yeah, that that stunk. But at least we did have football to talk about as a distraction. Yeah, for sure. And we'll circle back to some football in just a couple of minutes. But before that, I got to make that dark left turn right now because I want to spend a few minutes talking Sabres here. Dude, if six straight in a row at home, they've dropped seven of eight. They're tied with Ottawa as we take this Monday evening yeah. for the least points in the entire NHL. And I think things went to a new low this weekend when they were shut out at home, not once, but twice against the Flyers. You got the coach getting busted. It's basically telling lies. Essentially, no one on this team is playing up the expectations. The fans hate the coach. The fans hate the team. The fans hate pretty much everything about the Buffalo Sabres right now. I mean, where do we go from here? How did it get this bad? Because, Matt, let's not forget here. This was a team that didn't play for nine months. Nine months. Okay, and then they've only played 19 games. And that doesn't even include, you know, a two-week shutdown because of COVID in between those 19 games. But the animosity that I sense, at least, I don't know about you, but on Twitter or social media or just talking to some people, it's high, man. It's just hard to fathom that it's come to this, isn't it? I mean, what do you make of it? I mean, they're in dangerous territory right now because right now people are pissed off. And that's not good. You don't want your fan base pissed off. But soon people are going to not care at all. And that's when things get really, really bad. And we are flirting with that happening within probably a week or two here. We're going to be living in a world where there's still a pandemic going on. People really aren't leaving their homes. They're not going to gatherings. These Sabres games are the only thing that people have to look forward to, some people. And they're not even going to be watched. They're going to open the arena in three weeks with 1,900 fans. And I'm not sure they're going to be able to fit, get 1,900 people into that building. I don't know how many people are going to be willing to pay money to watch this team. They're a disaster from the top to bottom. They're an embarrassment. I think this is my third time on the podcast now. And it's the same story over and over. Every year, it's how are the Sabres going to figure it out? There's these reasons to be optimistic. They turn out to be nonsense and they still suck. It's an embarrassment. It's a pathetic organization right now. It's, you know, when going back to the, the tanking years, okay, whether you're pro or anti, I don't want to really get into that because you can make a very fair side for both. But if nothing else, there was drama. Even if you didn't like the drama, there was drama. It felt for me back then that I at least had some reason to watch this team. It's what I'm basically saying is this right now. I'm not even that mad that they're not good. I'm mad because they're boring. I'm bored to tears watching them. I did just this weekend, Saturday and Sunday. I'm a sucker. I sat in front of the TV. I watched all pretty much what roughly six hours between both games. And I was embarrassed. I, I mean, I feel like I legitimately rotted my six hours of my life away that I can't get back. Why? There's a lot of talent on the scene. At least on paper there is. Why are they just, forget about being bad. Why are they so boring to watch? That's the thing. It's the weirdest thing. Because going into the season, you look at the team and you're like, well, at least they're going to score a lot of goals. They got Jack Eichel. They got Taylor Hall. They got Jeff Skinner. They got Sam Reinhardt. They got Victor Olofsson. Like we just rattled off five players who are all proven goal scorers in the NHL. 
And right now, besides Victor Olofsson on the power play, no, and Sam Reinhardt too, he's played pretty well, but nobody's doing anything. This, this is not how it was supposed to play out. This team, the biggest thing that was going to hold this team back was going to be their goaltending. And you know what? There have been times this year when the goaltenders haven't been good enough, but come on. They're giving up like three goals a game collectively as a group. You're telling me that this Sabres team can't figure out a way of scoring at least three goals a game. And then you at least get to over, get like score three goals. Brian Cozio was making this point. He had a little rant after the game yesterday. It's like, if you at least get to overtime, you're going to win half of them. It's a coin toss basically at that point. You can't figure out a way of scoring three goals a game. They have still no secondary scoring whatsoever, but that's not even the biggest problem on this team. It's the top six because you need Jack Eichel and Taylor Hall and Jeff Skinner and those guys to score goals, and they just can't. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if Jack Eichel is hurt. I don't know if he's just got no motivation whatsoever, but knowing him you know, for the last five years just in the way that we cover him and you know, having conversations with him, he's a fiery dude. He's a passionate dude. I do not think that Jack Eichel is not putting in the effort. That's why I think that there's something wrong. I don't know what the Jeff Skinner deal is. That whole situation is really, really weird. But there's no excuse. This team shouldn't be this comically bad. If they were an okay team, if they were losing every game like 5-4, to 4-3, four, four to three, and every once in a while they looked like they had some idea of what was going on, I think this would be an easier pill to swallow, kind of like you mentioned. But they're unwatchable. You turn on a game not thinking if they're going to win. You turn on a game wondering if they're going to score a goal. It's pathetic. I don't know. I don't know about you, but like I played a lot of rec sports before, you know, like in fun beer leagues or whatever have you. And I don't like to lose. And when I lose enough, I tend to get annoyed, maybe a little dirty out there, you know, throwing a little elbow or, you know, something to show that I'm annoyed and then I'm frustrated. And I'm noticing during the game Sunday in the third period, I'm like, are they even trying to hit? Are they clearing someone out in front of the net? Are they, you know, giving somebody a little bit of a shove after the whistle in the third period when they're down 3 nothing and getting embarrassed again on their home ice. It almost looked disinterested. And I'll tell you what, again, when it comes to like Jack Eichel, this is why I like talking to guys like you because like you said, you've been around him for five years, whereas myself and fans, we're watching the games on TV or in some cases at the arena and we make our educated guesses. But you've been around these guys. Uh, it, it feels to me like a lot of fans are starting to turn on him or at least putting a lot of blame on him and being the captain. And conversely, I, it's obvious that he's getting miserable, um, you know, as it'd be expected with the losing though. So like, what is your, what is your take on him? Like how much of the blame for this should he be assigned? Because I think, I think it's pretty obvious that he's been hurt. He's only had two goals so far this season, but overall as a whole, he's in year six with this organization I think he's played as good as you can realistically hope that a man can play. But he's not played a meaningful game in March, and that's obviously not going to be the case again this year. Do you blame him for being miserable and angry? And maybe to the point of disinterested where maybe he's in the back of his mind, maybe he is thinking about getting out of here now. I don't know. It's tough because I feel like with that question, with a lot of questions in sports, everybody wants you to pick one side. you got to pick either it's Eichel's fault or it's not Eichel's fault. And for me, I find myself kind of somewhere in the middle which I know is the super not cool Twitter takey thing to do. But I just think, listen, take this year out of it because we don't know if he's hurt. We don't know what exactly is going on. The first years of his career, he was a dominant NHL player. He was one of the best players in the NHL. It's hard to ask for more 
at least from the on-ice product. So to me, that's when you look at the rest of the organization and you go, how did you fail when you have this player and then you stumbled upon Rasmus Dalin? You've got a prospect who a lot of people think could be one of the best defensemen in the NHL down the road, and you have this franchise-altering center who might be a top-10 player in the NHL. You already have the two hardest things to find. Now you just need to fill the rest of it in. How difficult can it be? Now, at the same time, as a leader, as the captain of the team, as somebody who's making $10 million, sometimes you need to be able to take a bottom-dwelling team and lift them up just to make them competent. And right now, Jack Eichel is not doing that. And I don't know if he fully deserves the blame, but if he was scoring at a normal Jack Eichel pace, this team would at least have three or four more wins, but they just don't score goals right now, and that's a huge problem. So I think it's somewhere in the middle. I think he needs to be held accountable, and I think that there's some blame that should go on his shoulders, and I think he would admit that. But I also think this is an organizational problem just as much because this team, once again, is just poorly built, and they've got too many issues aside from just Eichel. I agree 100%, and like I said, fans are just angry and – you know, he's the captain, he's supposed to be the savior, and I guess he's supposed to do everything, which obviously he can, and he's not doing right now, but it, it's just bad sentiments all around. You know, I was talking about your Twitter, how much I enjoy it, and, you know, you say some funny things, and you have your, you know, ask Matt anything kind of questions, and they're kind of off the wall, it's a lot of fun. Imagine on the other end, okay, and this is almost sadistic of me, um, having to run the Sabres social media account. I mean, I don't know, Matt, if you've ever been bored, because if you ever have been bored and you want to laugh, go to the Sabres official Twitter account, literally look up any tweet. I don't care if it's a game report. I don't care if it's somebody's birthday. Just go to the mentions after any tweet. Good Lord, man. It's uh, it's funny you mention that, though, because, at, you know, doing this job, you get to know all the people who do those jobs. So, like, I know the people who run the Sabres social media account. And the same mm-hmm. thing, I know the people who run the Bills account. And I, I've probably messaged five times this year to people within the department, just like, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Like, seriously, like, I'm so, so sorry. Yeah, it's not their fault. No, it's, and that's, I think I even quoted it a couple weeks, a couple days ago. Like, I think it was one of the nights that Skinner was benched and they tweeted out like the lineup card. And I think I just said like, be nice. The social media person didn't decide to sit Jeff Skinner or something like that. But no, it's, it's, pure gold, not from anything that they're doing, just from all of the replies that they're getting. They could literally tweet the nice, they could tweet like, we love you all so much. We appreciate your continued support. And all of the responses would be like, you're dead to me. I hate you. Leave. <laughs> and it's just, that's that's the way it is. Matt, hand to God, there are nights where I'm laying in bed with my wife and I'm a little bit restless and I'll go on Twitter and I'll do that. I'll just open up a Sabres tweet and just read some of the matches and I start laughing out loud and my wife's looking at me like, You're nuts, man. But yeah, it's just ugly. I do want to ask you about Kruger. But before that, um, the Pagulas, maybe this is an obvious question or maybe it's not. How do you think they're feeling right now? Like how personal do you think they're taking this and how embarrassed do you think they are about being in charge of what I, not what has been close. It's easily been the worst era of Sabres hockey in the history of this franchise. And look, and you see it and you know this, you know, a lot of people around the league too. They're a laughing stock right now legitimately outside of Buffalo, they are a complete laughing stock around the league right now. Like how embarrassing and personal do you think they're taking this or are they not? I would think that they're mad. Like I think that they're upset with how poorly this has gone, but I don't necessarily, and this is just me speculating, 
But I also don't think they're as angry as people would probably want them to be. Um, you know, from a media standpoint, I'm a big, you know, I, I, everybody preaches accountability and you want to hear from them. Like we never hear from them ever, basically, especially right. when it comes to the Sabres. So, you know, when things have gone this bad, I would, I would like to hear from them. I want to hear what Terry Pagula and Kim Pagula think about how bad this has gotten and what they think. Cause there's a lot of important questions that need to be answered. You know, it's funny, like a lot of people hate this and, and I understand this, but like after every Cowboys game, Jerry Jones has 30 reporters around him and he wants the attention. He wants to be the center of attention. He wants to be the story. I get that. But at least Dallas Cowboy fans know what the owner is thinking. We've got no idea because we never hear from them, ever. So th- I, I think that that's a problem. I, I think that if you're truly as embarrassed about the team as you should be, then you should probably be letting your frustrations be heard by the fan base because silence isn't doing anything. You know, fans should know what you guys think, but they don't because you're not talking. So to me, that's, that's an issue. I think that there, of course, how could, it's human nature. How could you not be pissed off that you've had this hockey team for 10 years now and you can't figure it out and you can't get to the playoffs? You know, part of that is just bad luck, I guess, but th- they need to be held accountable in regards to that. And you know, we don't hear from them. So it's hard to kind of get a gauge on what they're thinking because we don't really know. I saw a tweet from John Worrell uh, a couple hours ago. And again, we're taping this Monday night. So it was Monday, roughly around dinner time. And he tweeted, he said, Sabres GM Kevin Adams isn't talking and the Sabres were off today. I'm hearing he's preaching patience to anyone who might want to listen. I can't imagine that's going over with fans because look, I know this is a different, like it's literally his first year on this specific job. So I, I get that. But at the same token, 10, 11 years now, I don't think there is any more patience when it comes to the fan base. It's getting to the point where you got to do something or I just feel like they're legitimately going to lose a lot of fans and they're not going to come back. At April 29th, 2013, that's when Darcy Regeer said that fans, there might be more suffering ahead. 2013. How much suffering has there been since 2013? This team hasn't even sniffed the playoffs in a league when it's easy to make the playoffs. It's ridiculous. It's, you're 100% right. There are, it's funny, you know, I grew up in Western New York. I played hockey growing up. One of the reasons I played hockey growing up is because when you grow up here, you love the Sabres and you love watching hockey. And I think about everybody who is, you know, less than 15 years old, like they've never watched a good hockey team. Like, do they really love hockey as much as anybody who is watching a good Sabres team? Like Patrick Kane scored his 400th goal in the NHL the other night. He might be the best American hockey player ever. And I bet one of the big reasons he played hockey was because he loved watching the Sabres growing up as a kid. Yeah. Like how many kids are going to be like, mom, dad, I want to play hockey because I love watching the Sabres. They don't even get to see the team score a goal. Why would you want to play the game when the team that you watch every day can't score a goal? Yeah. I, you know, it's crazy because the average fan, like if you're a, a hockey diehard, you probably start to become knowledgeable of the team. Maybe when you're eight, 10 years old, somewhere around that. But for the most part, like say the little more, maybe the casual fan who became a fan, I don't know, when they became a teenager, if they're like in their early to mid-20s right now, they've literally never seen a good Sabres team before in their life. Not that they've paid attention to anyway. It just, uh, <laughs> it blows my mind. All right, I, I do want to ask you about Kruger because I think this kind of could be a two-way thing, and I'll hit on the second part in a second. But first, the obvious. 
when you have a roster full of guys where you're going to be hard-pressed to look up and down that roster and say, I can count three guys that are playing as good as they should be or better on the entire roster. Because, I mean, you Victor Olofsson, okay, yeah, he's got seven goals. Six are on the power play. He's a great power play player, and he's got one empty net goal. All right, Sam Reinhardt's been playing reasonably well, but outside of him, again, Jack, two goals on the air. Uh, Taylor Hall's got one goal, which was the first game of the season. Stahl's been reasonable, I guess. Darlene, I don't know. That's a good conversation. Some people don't think he's really taken a step in this third year. There's just, I mean, you could go on and on and on about so many guys that are just underperforming. And when that many guys are underperforming, how can that not be on the coach? Now, maybe I'm wrong. And if I am, tell me. But when you got eight, nine players, key players that are playing below expectations of what they're supposed to do, or even maybe compared to a year or so ago, that's got to be on the coach, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's on the coach because I think when they hired him, the big selling points were that he gets the most out of his teams and he is a motivator and he gets his players fired up. And this team has looked lifeless and they have certainly not gotten the most out of this team. You can say the exact opposite at this point. And I don't think the Sabres are going to move on from Kruger just because they've had so many coaches. It's six coaches. They've they've hired or they I guess they've They've had six coaches on the payroll, the Pagulas, since they took over the team 10 years ago last week. So I don't think they're going to make a move, even though they probably should. Right. You know, I, I think that it's time. Like, listen, it's not working. There's other attractive candidates that are on the market. Don't wait just to see what happens the rest of this year. This year's already a lost cause at this point. Make the move now. But I just, with the pandemic, with... You know, how weird of a situation this is. I, I don't see the Pagulas making this move now, even though that they should. I, I think Ralph Kruger should be on the hook for this. And I liked the Ralph Kruger hire. I, I really did. I thought it was different from the people that I talked to around the league. Everybody seemed to say really, really great things about him. As a human, you know, I, I haven't had a face-to-face conversation with him in more than a year just because of the pandemic. So it's been a while. But he's always been at least an enjoyable guy to have a conversation with. Now, that changed a little bit with the whole Jack Eichel injury situation from the other day. That was really, really fishy and shady. But, yeah, I just I think that he needs to be held accountable, and I think that they need to move on from him. And I also don't see the point in moving on or waiting until the end of the season to move on. But he's got a contract, and money is tight right now, so I don't anticipate that anything happens. I've heard a couple people suggest that maybe instead of just firing him, they would kick him upstairs. I truly think that that's maybe a possibility. I, I don't, you know, once again, I don't exactly know what would happen, but yeah, I could totally see him taking on some sort of leadership role. Whether or not you think that's a good idea is a completely different conversation. I just don't think that that's out of the realm of possibility. I think that could be something that definitely could happen. You want to know what's sad, Matt, is I just ran off a bunch of players to you and them underperforming. He's made Skinner so irrelevant that I literally forgot to even mention Skinner, who's probably the biggest underachiever of them all, which a lot of it is, as I have learned, isn't really his fault. He's not really getting those opportunities. It's just crazy. Now, on the other side, though, do you think that this is a team right now? So let's assume that they're not going to fire Kruger, and you're correct. Is it time to blow this team up? Because I've also heard theories, and I find some... I believe this personally, but this team right now feels like it's made up of like parts of three different GMs with yeah. Adams and well, a lot of moves yeah. that Bottero made and Murray before that. But it feels like 
there's a bunch of pieces from a bunch of GMs who had maybe different visions and they're kind of just, it just doesn't fit. You know, like there's yeah. just something about these combinations, these lines, this roster, it doesn't fit. Is it time in your mind, like if you were running the Buffalo Sabres right now, would you be looking to trade maybe not everybody, but like almost everybody and try to get as, as many guys out of here and kind of rebuild over the next few years? It's terrible as that is to say, because they're about to set, you know, an NHL record for not making the playoffs. But is it time to just blow this team up and start over? Because do you think they'll be any better in three years with this roster as is? 100%. And it's weird because you can say 100% and think that it's a good idea, but also realize it's probably not realistic. If Jack Eichel wants to continue to play here, like if he doesn't demand a trade and if he's happy after the season, however it plays out, then you should not trade Jack Eichel because you're just hoping that the pieces you're getting back are Jack Eichel. You also should not trade Dylan Cousins because he's looked pretty good in his you know first 20 games or first 18 games or whatever it is as, yeah. an, NH- as an NHL player. And I still think that Rasmus Dalin is going to be really good. I don't know if he's going to be the best defenseman in the NHL, but I know he's going to be really good. Now this brings up the problem. To get things that are somewhat important, you know, to get people who are going to help, you need to give up something good. And the Sabres don't really have anything to give up that would be any interest to people. You know, it's funny. You see all these people on social media talking about it. Trade Skinner, trade Oposo. Nobody is taking those contracts. You, you cannot trade them. That's why you've handcuffed yourself so difficult, you know, you know, so tough here. But 100%, I think that if there's anybody on the roster that isn't Jack Eichel, Rasmus Dalin, or Dylan Cousins that anybody else is interested in, then you need to have those conversations. Sam Reinhardt's a good hockey player. You probably want to keep him here. But if there's another player who might come in, maybe that's a conversation that you have. Same thing. Henry Yokiharu, to me, he's taken a step back this year. If another team wants to take a shot on a young defenseman and they've got a different player that maybe works, you do that too. Move on from the goalies. I don't know what they're going to do with the goalies. Carter Hutton's contract's up. Linus Olmark has flashes. When he plays well, he plays really well. But to me, he's just he's a below-average NHL starter. He would be an outstanding backup goaltender. So if you want to bring in a goalie, do that too. I, I really do think starting over or I I guess it's not fully starting over because you would still have some really talented pieces but I would say that basically anybody that's not Jack Eichel, Rasmus Dillon or Dylan Cousins is available. All right folks let's take a quick break. I want to tell you about Sunny Reds. Now this is a spot that I think is one of the best hidden gems around. Sunny Reds has Delicious wings, elite wings. Some of the best that I've had anywhere in Western New York. And you know how much I love going out and getting wings all over Western New York. They're among the very best. And by the way, their brick oven pizza hmm, is really good too. Sunny Reds is located in Lackawanna on Ebber Road, literally just a few minutes from Bill's Stadium. And it's a great, cozy, comfy vibe. I've taped several podcast episodes at Sunny Reds. I've had guests there that include Eric Wood, Reed Ferguson, Joe Biscaglia. They all love the food. They all love the vibe there. And I'll tell you what, as soon as this pandemic's over, I can't get back in there and do more shows quick enough. Love that place. Again, great food, great vibes, a friendly neighborhood feel. During COVID, they're available for takeout and delivery. They have limited dining, limited dining hours. You know how it is with COVID. It's a fluid situation. So hit up their Facebook page, Sunny Red 716, 
Check out their full menu, their hours of operation, when they're open. Give them a shot. And I can confidently say this. Trust me. You'll be glad you did. All right, let's switch gears again in a little bit of a better mood here. <laughs> Talk some bills, man. But the JJ watch is over. That ended on Monday afternoon. He signed with Arizona two years, 31 million, 23 of that guaranteed. Let me get uh let me get your initial thoughts on that. We'll start there. I think well, from the reports out there, it seemed like they really wanted him because it seems like they were tied to him in a lot of different places. And unless that's just completely BS, you know, I tend to think that there's some truth there. I think that he would have made the bills better, but I also don't think that it was a bad idea to pass considering how much money he made. $15.5 million is a lot of money to give J.J. Watt. And I still think he's a good player, but I think you can spend – there's better ways to spend $15.5 million. So I'm indifferent. If he, would have, if he would have signed in Buffalo, I would have said, yeah, it's a good player, but it's a lot of money. You're really going all in for the next two years. Now that they didn't sign him and you know how much it would have cost to sign him, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm like, man, you can get John Feliciano, John U. Smith, and maybe someone else for all that kind of money. And I think I'd rather do that. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. That's fair. And I wanted to talk to you about the trenches, both sides of the line with the Bills. But before that, this reminds me potentially, if you remember last year, I mean, the player's not the same, but the Bills made a run at Olsen, the tight end who ultimately went to Seattle. And the reason why I bring that up is this. So they, they made a play for Olsen, and, and it was reported and well-known. Didn't land him. After that, didn't do anything. They said, all right, well, we didn't get the guy that we wanted, so we're just going to run with Knox and Croft again this year. Basically, that's what they did. Now with J.J. Watt. So it was been reported, and I think there's truth to it. I mean, we don't know for sure, but the Bills were very interested in J.J. Watt. Didn't land him. Do you think that this is a team right now looking at the roster? And again, we'll talk about the defensive line in just a second, but looking at that roster and the fact that they made a play for JJ Watt, do you think he's one of those guys where they just wanted that player specifically? Or do you think that's a position that they're absolutely going to try to target in free agency? I think it's a position they should definitely target in free agency because I think if any of, you know, we all watched the Super Bowl and we all watched how the Chiefs lost. And granted, that's with a really, really decimated offensive line. But the Bucks just made Patrick Mahomes' day, you know, life a living nightmare. They put pressure on him with four man like the entire yep. time. So that's why I think it's got to be the biggest offseason priority. Maybe AJ Epinesa takes a step. Maybe Mario Addison, if he's even back, is better. But I'm not banking on that. I'm going out. I'm probably, if I'm the Bills, either restructuring Addison or trying to figure out what I'm going to do. I would keep Jerry Hughes. I think that. Having Latula Lele come back is going to help kind of the defensive ends a little bit more, and it's going to help Ed Oliver more. I think he was a bigger loss than we anticipated, but that doesn't mean you can just bank on that. If I'm them, I'm going out into free agency and seeing if there's a defensive end who you think can help you in the immediate future, or maybe that's what you're using your first round pick on. And I know that that's no guarantee because, you know, last year it's funny. I think we all kind of thought Epinesa would be a first round pick, and then he slid into the second round. And he didn't really do much during his rookie season. That doesn't mean he's going to be a bust. That just means that he's got a lot of room for growth. So I, I think it's probably their biggest priority, at least defensively. They have to figure out how to be a more effective pass rushing team because if you can put pressure on the quarterback, then everybody else on your defense becomes that much better. The object, obviously, is to build a team that can beat 
the Kansas City Chiefs, who are the cream of the crop of the AFC right now. Now, when the Bills lost to the Chiefs, most of the talk was the Bills need more speed, that Kansas City was just too fast. Then you watch the Super Bowl and you watch Tampa Bay beat the hell out of them, and it wasn't the speed of Tampa Bay that killed Kansas City. It was just like you talked about, just flat-out domination, not just on the defensive line, both lines. The Tampa Bay offensive line was excellent against Kansas City. They dominated that game, too. This is a 13-3 and football team, right? They do have some speed, and they got some ability on the line. But, yeah, you got to figure out where, you know, you could get these guys. Now, with the defensive line, um, Addison, Butler, Jefferson, these are all guys that Brandon B. went out and signed last year. And I'm looking at the list right now in the Bills cap situation, and these are all potential cap-related cuts, perhaps any day right now. How do you feel about the defensive line as things stand right now? And also, look, we I know you love Brandon Bean. I love Brandon Bean. He does a fantastic job. He's not perfect. Kind of little, This is a little bit of a ding against his record. I think, anyway, if, if you sign three defensive guys at one year and you're talking about potentially waving three defensive guys one year um, later, yeah. you know, you might have made a mistake. Now, again, Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson, they got overpaid in free agency. So I could see why you wouldn't want to pay him what they got paid, but I don't know, man. Those guys have not really worked out. If they were, I don't know that we'd be talking about potentially release. Not saying they're going to, but it's at least a possibility that any or all of them can be. I think that you probably have the conversation with all three of them if there's a restructure available to see if you can figure out how you move around money and maybe you keep them because you're not going to get rid of all three of them. I think that Mm -hmm. that's a popular thing to think of. Like everybody on social media is like, oh, if you cut this guy, you cut this guy, you cut this guy, then you save $25 million. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not going to do that to everybody because then you're not going to have any players there. You're not going to completely start over. So I do think getting Latula led back is a really important piece. Like I mentioned earlier, I think that'll help that Oliver too. I think of the two quote, I'm using air quotes here, defensive tackles. I would say they're more likely to keep Vernon Butler. I felt like towards the end of the year, he started to play a little bit better. He started to get a little bit more comfortable. And then of the defensive ends, you know, I've seen a couple people throw around Jerry Hughes' name. Then obviously you've got Mario Addison on the other side. To me, I still think Jerry Hughes is effective. And Mario Addison never really wowed me this year. You know, it was funny. Everybody, when they signed him, myself included, was like, yeah, this guy comes in, he gets nine and a half. He gets 10 sacks every year sleepwalking. You don't even realize it, but he brings brings pressure all the time he really wasn't doing that last year it didn't feel like he was as effective as they thought he was going to be so I think he could be a cap casualty I think of the guys he's probably the most likely cap casualty and then I'd say after that it would be Quentin Jefferson and then it would be Vernon Butler I'd be truly surprised if they parted ways with Jerry Hughes or anybody else really on the defensive line that was that wasn't those three guys me too they could save over a little over six by getting rid of Addison and with Jefferson, they could save six and a half and that's with no dead cap with Quentin Jefferson. So that would seem like a, uh, a likely deal. Now, what about the other side of the football on that line? I'm talking about cause, All right. So on one hand, I think most fans would like to see John Feliciano and Daryl Williams both back. I think it's pretty much a certainty that Feliciano is going to be back. We'll see about Williams. But on the other hand, the bills weren't, as good as the offense was, and again, they won 13 games last year. Let's not forget that. But the Bills were not very effective at running the football, and maybe you can make a case that the offensive line needs to get better, which if you re-sign Feliciano, you re-sign Darrell Williams, Cody Ford's back, healthy playing guard, all that happens is that essentially what you're doing is you're running it back from last year. 
Like, where do you fall right now with this offensive line? How much confidence do you have in them? I would say cautiously optimistic. I think that if you used the exact same, they were pretty beat up on the offensive line this year. Now, because Deion Dawkins and Mitch Morse were healthy for basically the entire season, um, Deion Dawkins, Mitch Morse was for a couple games. I would say that because those are probably your two most important offensive linemen, because they were healthy for most of the season, people might not think they were as beat up as they were, but you know, they were starting like Brian Winters and Ike Butker, and they were starting all these different guys in the interior line this season. So I would think that their best combination right now would be Dawkins, Ford, or excuse me, Dawkins, Feliciano, Morse, and then Ford, Daryl Williams, unless you want to make me try the Cody Ford experiment again at right tackle. I don't know if I'm willing to do that. It all depends on how confident they are in Cody Ford because he was better when he did play this year. I like, like you said, I would be really surprised if Feliciano doesn't come back. It seems like everybody in that locker room absolutely loves that dude. I think it would take like a truly insulting offer for him to not be back. But Daryl Williams made himself a ton of money this year. So he might go out and get a big contract somewhere. And if you're the Bills, I think you might steer clear of that. And that's the thing about this pick, the 30th pick. Just use it on the best player available. Obviously, don't draft a quarterback, and you're probably not going to draft a receiver either. But pretty much if there's a player there who you think can help your team at any position, I think you do it. And offensive line is certainly one of those categories. So is defensive end, and so is linebacker. So is corner. This is my last Bills question for you. Ready? What about running back? Because this is the question. Do you think it's scheme? Do you think it's play calling? Or do you think it's the running backs that are on this roster right now that were the biggest reason why the Bills didn't run the ball better? Now, Brandon Bean said, it's not that they need to run the football more. They don't want to be necessarily a running football team, but they want to run the football better. Me, personally, I like Zach Moss. I am very low right now on Devin Singletary. I want to know what your take is on that. Like right now, what do you think of the running backs on this roster right now? And again, I asked you this if you're running the Sabres. If you're running the Bills, would you be looking to upgrade that position or would you just worry more about the line and then you think the running backs are plenty fine? I guess what I would do is I would see what Devin Singletary's value is. Because if there's somebody who likes him and they would be willing to like take him from you, then I think I would look into that because I'm kind of on the same page here. I like Devin Singletary. I liked him more before last season started. I think we Me all too. probably we I think we all probably did. Zach Moss, I think, serves the purpose of what you drafted him for. He had the fumble in the 49ers game and he had a little bit of growing pains at the beginning of the season, but he did seem to kind of blossom down the stretch and he was a pretty valuable player. I am of the belief, and I know this is probably not the most popular opinion, but with the 30th pick you definitely just take the best football player available. And if the best football player available is either Najee Harris or Najee Harris or Travis Etienne, then I think you take them because I think they're difference makers. I don't see them as quote-unquote running backs. I see them as damn good football players who can help your offense be a hell of a lot more explosive. And that's saying something because this offense was really explosive. But I think if you put one of those two players in the backfield, you all of a sudden become that much scarier because, you know, you're going to have to pay attention to those guys. And if they can contribute in the passing game, then that's an added bonus. So I think that it's a little bit of everything, but I also would put the blame more on the running backs than I would on anything else. I don't think they were good enough this year. I think that Zach Moss, who used a high pick on him, he did get better as the year went along. I think that he stays. I think probably Devin Singletary stays too, unless they decide to draft a running back, 
And if you find yourself in a good spot, then that's when I think you strike and you take advantage of it. Yeah. One of the big um, criticisms I've heard of, because I've discussed on this show, potentially either getting rid of Devin Singletary or in a perfect world, I think, so they keep Moss and he plays a role like you described. And maybe they get one of those guys at 30, or maybe they go and sign like a Darrell Williams from Green Bay, who I like a lot. And I think it would be a really good fit for this offense. I could see Devin Singletary because it makes no um, economical sense to cut him. He's mm-hmm. cheap. Yeah, so does, maybe yeah. he could be, you know, worst case, maybe he is next year's TJ Yeldon where he's uh, inactive, but he's a serviceable running back. And if you need to have a guy, if somebody goes down, you know, you could, he could still play. But I definitely would be looking to upgrade the position. And you could also look at it this way. If a guy's going to touch the ball 12 to 15 times a game in your offense, if he's a, a 1A or a 1B running back, that's a 170, 180 touches a year. I think potentially if a, a guy like Harris or ATN were on the board, that it would be worth it to take them. Think about it. 12 touches a game. I mean, that's basically like every game for Stefan Diggs. And I know it's a completely different position, but those 12 touches, sure, they mean a hell of a lot to the yeah. Bills offense. So if that's where you're going, I think that it totally makes sense. And you're right about the Devin Singletary aspect. He doesn't cost you anything really to keep him. You wouldn't just part ways with him just to do it. You'd have to be getting something, probably like a fourth-round pick. Anything better than that, I think you would run at right away. If you can get like a fourth-round pick, then you'd probably look into it. The only thing about Devin Singletary is he doesn't really do anything special teams-wise. And Yeldon didn't either until this year. And then they started making him do a little bit more there. And that's why Taiwan Jones is so valuable. So I think probably a lot of people would look at it and go, well, you would just keep Devin Singletary, you'd keep Zach Moss, and then you would draft another running back. And it's like, yeah, but then who's going to play special teams? Like, you're not going to put, you know, your first round pick as a special teams contributor, and you're not going to put Zach Moss on special teams. So what exactly are you going to do? But yeah, I think it's definitely an option for the Bills. I think it's something they're going to probably consider too. Yeah, I agree 100%. All right, we're going to do terrible tweets here. Terrible tweets. Tell me I did not just see that. All right, Matt. So what I do is I find one or two really bad tweets out there, and I just want to get your take. I only have one this week, and it's golf-related, and it's from some dude named at Roger Dinges, too. He said this about Tiger Woods and all the attention that he's getting from the players, and a lot of them were wearing red on Sunday to pay tribute to him, stuff like that. This guy tweeted, why? He ain't dead. He will recover. This is ridiculous. Send the man a card. He ain't God. He's just a, he's just a regular guy that plays golf. I want to get your take on that tweet and Tiger and how you feel about, you know, what's going on in, in the golfing world. I know you, you like golf. And again, Tiger's done a lot for the sport and it was a scary thing. And do you think players are overreacting? Is that a stupid tweet? Of course it's a stupid tweet. Thank you, man. I was gonna have to cut I was gonna have to cut this interview short if you Of just... course it's a stupid tweet. It makes no sense. I mean, first off, we should all be empathetic to the situation. It's a terrible thing that happened. But at the same time, you're hundred percent right. He revolutionized the game. He got an entire he is the sole reason why there is an entire generation of golf fans out there. And he's also why most of the guys who are playing in that event are golfing. You could ask all of them, who's your hero? And they would all say Tiger Woods. Everybody wanted to be Tiger. Everybody who's ever picked up a golf club as a kid is thinking about becoming Tiger Woods. So, yes, it is a stupid tweet. It's an asinine tweet. And there is no – I just – I don't get it. I don't get why people would say that. It just doesn't make sense to me. It's, it's, <laughs> well, it's, you, it's infuriating. 
it is. And one thing's for sure on this tour right now, those people who are wearing paying or uh, wearing red and paying tribute. Those guys who are playing golf are all significantly richer. They're getting more money yep. at these tournaments because yep. of how much Tiger Woods, yeah, how much he elevated the game. Yeah, that was just a absolutely terrible tweet. That one was a no brainer. All right, so I want to end this with a couple. You like to do tweets. Um, you'll say, you know, I got some time. Ask me five questions or ask me ten questions, whatever. And that's one of my favorite things because you get some pretty good ones. I told you to do that and say that you would answer a couple of these on the podcast. So I plucked a few. There were a lot of them, but a lot of them were a lot of Sabres related things about Fire and Kruger and stuff like that that we've already discussed. But I do have four. Two are sports and two are non-sports. Um, Matthew Dwyer tweeted this to you. He wants to know who should be bought out next year, Akposo or Skinner? Neither, which I know is really concerning, but you would put yourself in such a tough position if you bought out Skinner. And I think if you're this close to the end with Akposo, you just swallow your pride and you just kind of deal with it moving forward. So I would say neither. And I know that's probably not the answer that fans would want to hear, but financially, it might make sense to just kind of keep on keeping on rather than buying either of them out. Okay, that makes sense. Um, somebody named James wanted to know, I thought this was a good question too. Did it ever get this bad during the Bills playoff drought in regard to the Sabres, obviously? That's his question. Absolutely not. The Sabres drought is way worse than the Bills drought. And I actually said this yesterday. Like The Bills were in the division with the greatest football player of all time in a league at the time where only 12 teams made the playoffs. In the NHL, you look, more teams make the playoffs than miss the playoffs. So the fact that the Sabres haven't even gotten kind of lucky and just stumbled their way into the playoffs is ridiculous. Oh, and by the way, last year, 24 teams made the playoffs, and they still couldn't find themselves in that playoff field. So no, I don't think it ever got this bad with the Bills. The thing about the Bills, and trust it was a bad drought. But there were some sprinkles of promise within there. There was the eight and eights and the nine and sevens and the seven and nines. And there was some okay teams there. This Sabres team for 10 years has been shit. I don't, can we swear on this podcast? We yeah, can swear on podcast, you can right? let it rip. Okay. Like it, they've been bad, really, really bad. So yeah, I think that the Sabres drought is way worse. I apologize for my foul language. <laughs> Two more here. This one is from Nick Walker. He he asked, what were your pickleball scores this weekend? I want to ask additionally yeah. how this started. I caught the aftermath. You and Ashley Rowe from Channel 7. I love Ashley, by the way. I've seen some pickleball banner between the two of you guys on Twitter. What is that all about? Because you might laugh in <laughs> Buffalo. I'm telling you right now in Florida, literally right across the street from me, there's a YMCA and, and an outdoor thing, and they have leagues pickleball leagues that are literally year round. It's kind of wild, but so, like, what's up with your pickleball story? So coincidentally, right now I am standing probably about 40 or 50 yards away from two pickleball courts. They're really? covered in, they're covered in snow, but they're here. So my wife and I, when we bought our house, there was this little park in the corner of our neighborhood. It's really, really cool. And there is a roller hockey rink. There's a tennis court and there's two pickleball courts. And it is unbelievable. So when we were in high school, I, I went to Niagara Weed Field up here in the area. And when it like rained or when it was really cold outside, the gym teacher used to bring out this net and we would screw around and we'd play pickleball. And I just kind of thought it was like a gym class game. I didn't think anything of it. And then we moved over here to our neighborhood and it's the same. It's not to the level it is in Florida, 
But like every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday during the summer or right when the weather gets nice, by like 8.30, there's a bunch of guys who are like between 50 and 70 years old who stroll up with their lawn chairs and they're playing their classic rock. And they come and, <laughs> they come and rip pickleball for like two or three hours at a time. So all of my buddies and I were like, hey, we should start doing this. It's something to do, especially during the pandemic. It's a game that we can do. It's something to get outside and have some fun. So we started playing. It got super, super competitive. And we played basically every single week. All right. So now that's all last summer. The snow starts falling. I haven't played pickleball since like Wednesday, or excuse me, since like probably October. So Jessie Pagula wins her first matchup in the Australian Open. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not scripting anything. We're just talking. So the play, you know, the video ends. She wins on an ace. And I'm like, Ashley, it feels su- it's got to feel super good to win on an ace. I have no idea what that would feel like playing tennis. But I can tell you in pickleball, it's a pretty sweet feeling. And she was like, <laughs> what in the world is pickleball? And then that's how it kind of all started. And there's actually about five minutes from my house. I went there for the first time this past weekend. There's this place called Pickleball Island. And they've got eight indoor pickleball courts, and the place is just jammed with people. So we went and we did that, and it was a ton of fun. That is crazy. I'm, and I I'll think I'm pretty good, by the way. Like I think because yeah. I played tennis growing up. I would say of the group of guys that I play with, there's about ten of us. I'm probably like the second or third best player. And now I'm starting to get to like, you know, I'm starting to understand, I guess, the way that you think the game now, because obviously that's just as important. Are, are you a pickleball player? I enjoy watching pickleball, which is funny because if there's actually any sport that I could play, it probably would be pickleball at this point, but I have watched it. My son and his buddy used to play. It wasn't a pickleball court. It was a tennis court, but they would just mess around playing it anyway. But I have seen it. There's a lot of people. Again, it is legitimately popular in Florida for sure. I really, really enjoy it. And I think it's a ton of fun. I'm looking forward to playing it more and more. My wife now, she wants to kind of get into it too, just as something to get her outside too. But it's having the courts right here is unbelievably convenient. I mean, I could literally, you know, I could hit a a lob wedge to the courts from where I'm standing right now. So it's a super, super cool perk of the neighborhood. And it's definitely a fun game. That's now well, going to take over the Channel 7 newsroom. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, man. You learn something new every day because I'm literally today's years old when I found out that pickleball courts on Grand Island existed and that not only do they exist, but it's actually a thing in Western New York and pretty popular. I never knew that my whole they're, life. They're all over Western New York now, too. Like, see, like seriously, like most parks in the area, whether it be in the North Towns and the South Towns, like basically every town's got at least a couple pickleball courts somewhere. It's really, it's really grown everywhere. Obviously, it's the most popular in Florida, but it's really grown pretty much everywhere from the way that I understand it. Wow, that's really cool. All right, last one here is from Jeff Rusek. And I'm going to admit this. I kind of don't understand some of his tweet here, <laughs> but it does get to a point that I enjoy because I actually had your back on this. All right, so he says, you can fly, but only five feet off the ground and not over water, but fast. You could travel upwards of 400 uh, kilometers per hour. Given this information, why are you so bad at liking <laughs> simple foods? <laughs> now, I saw you had a tweet about cheese pizza. Yeah. I agreed with you. You got yes. buried for that. I did. I, I did. agree with you, though. Cheese pizza is the best pizza. I think that for, uh, this is, and this is what I was trying to tell people there's nothing wrong with pepperoni pizza. Pepperoni pizza is delicious, it's great. But I would prefer to have cheese pizza. I think the pepperoni masks bad cheese pizza. 
which is why I prefer a, just a good solid piece of cheese pizza. So I, I don't know. I took so much heat for that. And everybody's like, yeah, you live in Buffalo. There's the cup and char pepperoni. How could you not get it? And I'm just like, I'd rather have a nice simple slice. And also, even though I live in Buffalo, I very much prefer like thin New York style pizza. Me and I too. Think when you're, I think when you're eating that kind of pizza, then you always go cheese pizza. Absolutely, man. And I'll tell you what. So I live in Florida and I've talked about this numerous times. The chicken wings are disgusting. They're the worst. Yeah. They're horrible. Pizza is semi-tolerable down here. But the one good thing is that there's a lot of places that have those New York style um, slices that then I like them too. Now, was that like your cheese pizza take? Was that just like a, a one-time thing where people got on you on Twitter or are you starting to get known for having like bad food <laughs> takes that have you on the Twitter chopping block or was that just kind of a an anomaly? Well, I've always gotten crap from another one of your guests, Paul Hamilton, because of my love for two chain restaurants, which would be Chipotle and would be Chick-fil-A. So he likes to tell me that I am a typical millennial who only likes those foods because they're <laughs> because they're trendy and they're popular. And I try and tell him every time I go, Paul, Chipotle, you get great bang for your buck. It's really, really good. And it's not like the worst thing in the world for you, which is why I like it so much. But then there's a lot of people who like Moe's. So if you prefer Moe's over Chipotle, then you would think that I have terrible taste. If you don't like Chick-fil-A, then you would think that I have terrible taste or if you hate cheese pizza, then you would also think that I have terrible taste. But besides that, I eat pretty much like everybody else. I try and get some proteins, some vegetables, <laughs> a sweet here and there. But apparently, I'm uh, I'm this enemy. I'm the villain now of Twitter when it comes well, to food I'm, takes. I'm on your side because I'm a Chick Fil A guy, and again, I especially love cheese pizza. That is absolutely uh, hilarious. So anyway, everyone, give Matt a follow on Twitter at Matt underscore Bove, of course. Check them out on Channel 7. Killing it in very tough, difficult times. I know how hard it is to be able to do your job in this market with COVID going on. But, man, you're still killing it. You're doing really good. And uh, I love having you on the podcast, man. So I really appreciate your time. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me. Hope everybody's doing okay. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for another episode. Very big thank you once again, Matt Beauvais, Channel 7, one of my favorite guys out there. Very talented, also very funny, man. Really entertaining guy. I love spending time and talking with Matt. So thank you very much, Matt. Don't forget, guys, coming up on Friday's show, a special podcasters roundtable. Greg Thompson, Bruce Nolan, Joe Marino, all three of them are going to join me. That's going to be a lot of fun. If you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead and do that right now. Subscribe, rate and review. It just takes a couple secs to do. And that stuff really helps me continue to grow the show. I promise you that. So please subscribe. Um, follow us on YouTube. I also have a YouTube channel. Talk about Buffalo Podcast YouTube channel. I don't put full episodes up there, but I am going to be putting more and more highlight clips from current and past episodes up there. And... Pretty soon, before you know it, in fact, I'm going to be having some original content. You're only going to find it on our YouTube page, nowhere else, not even this podcast. So make sure you do that. Then, of course, follow me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets. I am constantly on Twitter podcasting updates, promos, upcoming guests, sports talk, music talk, all kinds of stuff going on on Twitter. I'm there all the time. Again, at Pat Moran Tweets. Thank you. 
so, so much for listening. I say it all the time. I truly, from my heart, mean it. There's so many great shows out there. So much competition in this podcasting world right now. And when you take your time to lock into this one, especially if you're listening right now, that means you heard it all the way through to the end. I can't tell you how much it means to me. It moves me. I'm humbled and appreciative and very grateful. So thank you very, very much. Have a good week, a safe week. I'll be back. Brand new episode, Podcasters Roundtable on Friday.